0: to Wednesday night live we're excited you're here to join us and we're excited for those that are online in fact let's give them a hand tonight for being with us I got a couple announcements for you one we're real excited I know all you students at train Bible school are excited next week is test week I just thought I'd remind you, but uh, we have new classes starting November 7th, and if you want more information, you can always go to lake-church.com or see the magnificent Jesse Lindley. I'm being nice to you tonight, not throwing you under the bus. So you can always see him, and then ladies, what is it that's coming up? Gee, that was weak. Greater ladies' retreat. Now, why you got to retreat, I have no idea. Us men are just perfect. You don't need to retreat from us, but I guess you need a break from the kids. That's it, isn't it? Come on, somebody help me out here. I'm dying up here. Anyway. This is at Lake Camp on November 11th and 12th. It's a Friday night at 6.30. His check-in begins at 6, and they'll have hot dogs and s'mores around the open campfire. Then Saturday morning, they will start off with breakfast and fellowship. Then move on to worship and the word uh, with time together, that uh, ending at 12. The cost is $25 per person, and you can sponsor one of our youth girls for $15 by using the promo code youth. You can do all this on the event calendar uh, at lake-church.com. So please, ladies, there were handouts tonight with the information on it. Please avail yourself to that if you did not get that. And guess what time it is? Come on, Wade. Thank you. You know, I want I want to share with you something. Um, you know, last Friday night, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Ramon Phillips, myself, and Pastor Greg did a seminar via Zoom in the Philippines. We had 16 different areas, and one of those areas was an unexpected area. It was Hong Kong. We have a pastor that started a work in Hong Kong many years ago and is still going, and we had people from there joining us. We had over 150 people watching. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is from the southern part of the main island to the upper part of the main island, all the way from one shoreline east and one shoreline west. So we influenced a whole lot of leaders and pastors. Uh, we've had great reports from it. We've been thanked for such a great ministry. And that's because of you. Every bit that paid for this seminar for them to gather together and have a lunch and a snack, that was provided by the members of this church. We did not take anything out of general fund. That was your offerings, your above and beyond giving. And I mean, just think about that you influenced anywhere from 150 uh, for sure up to 200 people. We don't have the final count yet. And so, you know, when you give into this ministry, you are giving into good ground. I mean, we had pastors that are floundering because of leadership skills. And we were able to bring them leadership skills via Internet and so into their lives so that they could take it back to their congregation. So I wanted to share that with you. Now, you can give at lake-church.com if you're online with us tonight, or there's a good old-fashioned way. There's envelopes in the seat backs right in front of you. You can always text to give. There's the number right there. And the new church app that we have, the church apps or church center app. I'm telling you, once you set that up, you just punch in numbers and send, and it's it is. It's the easiest way to do. Leela does it at, at work once she gets paid. I do it at home when I get, you know, it's so easy, it's almost too easy. <laughs> so, so tonight we have a, a bucket back there in the back. If you want to drop your cash or your uh, envelope in there, and I'm going to pray and we're going to let Pastor Kevin come up and get us fired up. All right. Father God, we just thank you tonight for the gift and the giver. Lord, I thank you for all the seeds that these people have sown and the jewels in their crown for sowing into the Philippines for that seminar. Lord, I thank you that you go above and beyond anything we can ask or think. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: amen good evening lake church hey let's all stand to our feet let's just enter in acknowledge the lord and his presence tonight father we just thank you for this opportunity to come together we just thank you father god for your anointing lord we just yield to you to your spirit tonight even though we have a message um We are open to whatever you want to do tonight, Father God. We just give you glory. We give you praise. We just worship you tonight, Father God. We are so grateful for the revelation that you're our Father and that we are your sons and daughters. We celebrate that tonight, Father God. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that he sanctified us to be a temple where you would dwell by your spirit. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you tonight and we thank you that you're here bringing the presence and the power of God into this place, into manifestation. Have your way tonight. Have your way tonight. I yield to you. I thank you, Father God, that you inspire our thoughts tonight, inspire our words, Father God. Just pray that this word bring us closer to your heart, Father, that we can more clearly and more accurately represent you and express you in the earth, Father God, that we would be vessels that you would easily be able to flow through, that your kingdom uh, be established on earth, Father God, that we be an expression of heaven in the earth today, Father. For those who don't know you and those who are getting to know you, Father God, that we would cause them to draw closer to your heart tonight, Father. We just thank you for it. Thank you for those who are watching online tonight, Father God. We just open our hearts. We just thank you, Father God, that you have made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that you've given us access to your presence, Father God. Oh, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no separation between God and man any longer. The only thing between us and between between us and you is Jesus, and we thank you for it, Father God. We give you praise for it. We give you glory. Oh, we just ask that we come into a renewal of the way that we think, Father God, so that you can have your way and do your will through our life, Father. We just give you praise. I just thank you that right here in Manford, Oklahoma, Father God, that you're establishing something that is going to shape generations to come, that's going to rebuild things that were formerly made desolate. Father God, we thank you for it. We give you praise. I thank you that you're assembling and and preparing a people to change the culture of this region, Father God. And we just thank you for it. Oh, we give you glory. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for everybody that's here tonight. That they are called into the ministry of replicating the works, the life, and the ministry of Jesus, Father God. To demonstrate the superiority of your kingdom over the kingdom of darkness. That we'd be a mighty army going out, Father God, and, and destroying the works of the devil in people's lives, Father. Liberating people, enlightening people to the truth, Father, of who you created them to be, who you designed them to be, and ushering them into the life of your design, Father God. Oh, we just celebrate you tonight, Father God. We celebrate the victory that's in Christ. We thank you that you disarmed the enemy, Father God, and that we reign in victory, that we are seated in victory at the right hand of your throne of majesty on high, and we give you glory, Father God. We celebrate. Oh, hallelujah. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise tonight. Oh, glory. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. (laughs) That we are just resting in Hallelujah, that we are just resting in what you've already done for us, Father God. Oh, you're so worthy. You are so worthy. Hallelujah. We praise you tonight. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you would, turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. I want to share along the lines of something I shared a couple of years ago. The Lord has continued to kind of, you know, I've just kind of continued to meditate on it and and uh, I really felt led to kind of share this again, you know. What was it, Peter that said, is not grievous to me to say the same thing, say the same thing to you again. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing. And hearing and hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we need to be reminded of spiritual truths so that they get sunk deep down in our heart. Into our consciousness so that we live out of what we believe. And um, so I was sharing uh, a couple years ago. A revelation of the love of God. And uh, in 1 John chapter 4. I want to read verses 7 and 8. In 12, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 12 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. You know, spiritual maturity is not about being able to function in gifts. Spiritual maturity is not about being able to preach good or any of those types of things. Spiritual maturity is measured by the degree of the love of God that is manifesting through our life. Jesus talked about this in Matthew, I believe it's in chapter 5, where he said that uh, if you're able to love your enemies, then you are true sons of your Father in heaven. Spiritual maturity is about how much of the love of God is manifesting through your life. And in 1 John chapter 4, he gives us a process of how we go to the place to where the love of God is being made manifest in our life. Um, and it's not surprisingly, it's a, there are three dimensions to that process of being made perfect, as John puts it, in love. The word perfect means mature. It is the revelation of God's love to you first, the revelation of God's love in you, because you can't give away what you don't have. And the revelation of God's love through you. And so when the love of God begins to manifest through your life, you have reached a place of maturity in God because then you begin to accurately express the nature and the character of God to the world. And here's the thing. God, uh, the world doesn't need to see a better version of you. The world doesn't need to see a better version of me. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. And God's intent and desire for mankind is that we would be imagers of God. That we would cause him to be made known through our life. And, you know, Jesus did that perfectly. Jesus was not just an example for us where we're trying to be like him. Jesus is an example of us. He was an example of a man functioning exactly the way God designed and created us to function. And we know that that was fragmented in the fall of Adam and that our ability to do that and express that accurately was hindered. We were separated from God. But Jesus came back. Jesus was the last Adam. He was the perfect man. And he showed us exactly how a man operating and functioning as God created and intended for us, what that would look like. So he was not just an example for us, he's an example of us. And the real key is to begin to identify with him as your reality. When you begin to be so identified with him and you get the revelation that now through the new birth... And the fact that we've been made one spirit with him, that what is true of him is true of you. And what belongs to him belongs to you. And you begin to embrace that on a subconscious level. You begin to live out of that, that belief and that begins to become your reality in your life. But it's a process of understanding, first of all, the love of God to you. And listen, John the Apostle who wrote this, who wrote the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he knew about the importance of understanding the love of God. In fact, the Apostle John was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, what a title. The disciple whom Jesus loved. You know the awesome thing about that? is he's the one who gave himself that title. (laughs) The only place you find that is in the Gospel of John that John wrote. In fact, I found five different places where he, talking about himself, said, and the disciple whom Jesus loved laid his head on the chest of Jesus. He knew that he was the beloved of God. And I'm telling you, it impacted his life greatly. You may think, well, how arrogant. It's not arrogance, that's confidence. Because he knew that he wasn't the beloved because he was so lovable. And that's the same thing with us. You know, the same, because what's true of Jesus is true of you, you know, the same declaration that the father made of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You need to realize that's the same declaration that the father makes over you. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You say, well, I just don't know if I can say that or not. Well, you're going to be missing out on moving on to greater dimensions of the love of God being made manifest in your life. Because the first thing you have to get a revelation of is God's love to you. Mm. So John was, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know... In uh, 1 John 4, when you go on down, we're going to look at that process a little more later. But if you go on down there, it says that perfect love, now that's not our love for God. That's God's love for us. How many of you guys would say that your love for God is perfect? (laughs) But his love for you. Perfect love casts out fear. Man, I was praying about this today, and so many people, I would say the majority of problems in people's lives, and I would say in the church, is that people people are being manipulated by fear. Oh, and it manifests itself in so many different ways. And we have thought before that faith was the opposite of fear. And we try to use our faith to cast out fear. And the Bible says, that it's not, it doesn't say that faith casts out fear. It says that perfect love casts out fear. You know, when you're fearful, you make all kinds of decisions to try and manipulate your situation and your circumstances into working out for you. That's not trust. That's not trust in God. That's you trying to take control of the affairs of life and work them out. Because you're fearful that God isn't going to come through. But I'm telling you, when you get a revelation of the perfect love of God, perfect love casts out all fear. And John was an example of that. Do you know that the only one of the disciples, after Jesus was arrested and flogged and beaten and taken to the cross, you know the only one standing at the foot of the cross was John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Why, all the others fled in fear. But perfect love had cast fear out of John's heart. And he went all the way to the cross with Jesus. i tell you what, there's a message right there. Yes. Perfect love will cast out fear from your life to where you're able to embrace the, the cross. You're able to go all the way With Jesus. And John did that. He was the only one. In fact, John was standing at the cross and Jesus looks down and his mother and John were standing there. And John's the disciple that Jesus said to his mother Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Man, John, I believe because John understood the love of God, Jesus knew that he could trust John with the care of his mother as he was leaving this world. Mm. There's a lot of benefits to understanding the love of God uh, to you. And so I was doing some research on John. And uh, I remember a couple years ago when I was studying on this, the Lord asked me, he said, who do you think is the longest living disciple? And of course, you know, Because of what I was studying. I was like, I don't know, but I bet it's John. (laughs) And so I looked it up, and John was the longest living disciple. Coincidence? Well, the Bible says faith works by love. Oh, man. You know, John also, all of the disciples were martyred for their faith. You know, the only disciple who wasn't martyred, according to the history that I was reading, was John. They tried to kill him. Oh, my goodness. They boiled him in oil. They tried to kill him. He wouldn't die. So they sent him to the Isle of Patmos. (laughs) They uh, they put him on the Isle of Patmos because they didn't know what to do with him. They couldn't kill him and uh, after a while they let him go again he went back into the ministry lived out his life and died of old age every other disciple now I'm not minimizing their martyrdom I'm not saying that I'm just saying it's interesting that the disciple who had a revelation of God's love to him that called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved oh how arrogant of him no how confident of him he knew who he was he knew who he was, and he knew how God, you know, he knew God's disposition toward him. Why? Because he saw Jesus die on the cross for him. He had a revelation. The cross is the revelation of the love of God. That He died for His enemies. You know, John. Um, he was he was the he was the man who understood the love of God and. They couldn't kill a man who knew he was the beloved of the Father. I just think that is an amazing thing. Let's look at Song of Songs, um, chapter 8. I'm just going to kind of take my time on this. But Song of Songs, chapter 8. Now, Song of Songs, let me just tell you real quickly. If you haven't ever really studied this and you haven't looked at it before, It's an allegory of Jesus Christ and the church. So it's a love story between Solomon and this Shulamite woman. And um, I love the way that it's written in The Passion. It's written like a playwright. And it has the Shulamite, and then it has the bridegroom king, which is Jesus. And so I read that quite a bit, and when I read it, the bridegroom groom king, when I read his words, I read those as Jesus speaking to me because he's speaking to the church. And uh, in, in chapter 8, it's a great revelation here. First of all, I'm going to read it in the New King James Version. Let me see here. In verse 6, Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Well, they couldn't kill John. Jealousy, as cruel as the grave, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. So, I'm going to read this in the uh, Passion Translation. Let me go to this. It says, Fasten me upon your heart as a seal of fire forevermore. This living, consuming flame will seal you as the prisoner of my love. You know, I remember when I first got saved, I was, my life was so filled with destruction and addiction and despair, and I remember when I, when I finally heard the truth of the gospel, and I realized that the love of God was unconditional toward me, and that God, God's love wasn't something that I could earn because I was lovable but i found out that god loved me because god is love. And i tell you i used to say this all the time and it's the truth. The love of god 20 years ago the love of god arrested my heart and i have never gotten over it. And that's what he's saying here is that his love will make you a prisoner. When you have a revelation of the love of god, it makes you a prisoner. By choice. (laughs) He says, this living, consuming flame will seal you as a prisoner of my love. My passion is stronger than the chains of death and the grave, all consuming as the very flashes of fire from the burning heart of God. You know, this phrase, the burning heart of God, it is in the King James, the New King James, most vehement flame. And when you look at it in the Hebrew, it's Shalabet Yah. It means the fire of God. The love of God is the flame of God. It's the fire of God. God's see. Here's the problem: we've thought we out. we thought we would just we outgrow love. You know, that's just a, that's just something that you get at the beginning let you outgrow it you know we got to get beyond that kind of stuff and the reason why is because we've allowed the world to define what love is but the love of God isn't a feeling it's a fire and the love of God is violent it's for it is it is fierce but not fierce towards you Fierce toward anything that tries to get between you and your relationship with God. Jealousy over you is like a flame of fire that comes against anything that tries to get between God and his beloved. Mm. The love of God is not a feeling. The world tells us, presents to us this definition of love that is so weak. But I'm telling you, the love of God is fierce. The love of God is fierce for you and against anything that tries to come between you and God. And I'm telling you, anything within you that tries to come between you and your relationship with God, the the fire of God's love is fierce towards it. The love of God is not this, you know, weak, you know, here today, gone tomorrow... Uh, fickle feeling, you know, that is just wishy-washy. No, the love of God is eternal. It's fierce. It's unconditional. It's, un- it's unrelenting. It's overwhelming, the love of God. But I don't think, I think a lot of people haven't ever actually encountered the true love of God. So I'm telling you, if we ever did, nothing else would compare to his love. Mm. So he tells us, place this fierce, unrelenting fire over your entire being. That means you need to be consumed by the revelation of the fierce and unrelenting, overwhelming, (laughs) unconditional love of God. Rivers of pain, listen to this, rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. Listen, if your motivation for serving God is anything other than the revelation of his love to you, then pain and persecution can cause you to be knocked off of your foundation. But persecution and pain are no match for the love of God. (laughs) Oh, for the one who knows he's the beloved of God. It says, Endless floods will be unable to quench this raging fire that burns within you. And everything will be consumed and it will stop at nothing as you yield everything to this furious fire until it won't even seem to you like a sacrifice anymore. Oh, my goodness. That's the problem. You know, we, we, we see everything as such a burden and a sacrifice in our relationship, in our, in our spiritual walk with God, in our spiritual disciplines and stuff. And the reason why is because we're not being motivated by the love of God. We're being motivated by fear. We're being motivated by obligation. We're being motivated by all kinds of things that are not motivated by the love of God. We're not being motivated by a revelation of the love of God to us to where we are responding To the love of God. See, religious Christianity makes you uh, act toward God and then he responds to you to the degree of your love that you express to him. But the truth is, is that we respond to the degree of love that he has manifested toward us. It says here that if you are being motivated by a revelation of this love of God that's toward you, that's unrelenting, that's fierce, that's furious toward you, then pain, persecution, and any sacrifice that comes to you in the Christian life won't even be an issue. It'll be be your pleasure. I'm preaching to me tonight. (laughs) Listen, if we're trying to manifest... if we're trying to manifest our love to God to get something from him, we're going to be, be weak. Because <laughs> we can't do anything to earn the love of God. Okay? So, let me just kind of see here where I want to go. You know, I think about in the Old Testament that uh, the first place we see that fire is in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses was in the wilderness. And he's tending to the sheep and he sees a bush that is burning but not consumed. And he says, let me turn aside and see this great sight. And he was captivated by this phenomena of fire that was burning a bush, but it wasn't consumed. I'm here to tell you, that is the love of God to you, that you should be captivated by the wonder that Almighty God loves you Independent of your performance, <laughs> independent of anything you had ever done to cause him to respond towards you in love. No, he loved you. He created you, and he loved you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. He, his love is toward you. We have bought into a lie of the enemy. We were deceived into into. Uh, into thinking that our that God's love for us was based on our actions toward God, our actions toward God are simply a response to his love toward us. but Moses saw this great sight this he was he was captivated by this sight of the fire of God, and then we see it in Acts chapter two when a hundred when when the disciples were... In the upper room on the day of Pentecost, they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and flames of fire set upon their heads, and they began to speak with other tongues. It's the same fire, it's the fire of God's presence, which is the presence of perfect love. And you know what that love did? It began to consume them. That's what John uh, That's what John the Baptist said. He said that I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he said that fire will be an unquenchable fire that will burn up the chaff. See, the love of God is also a consuming fire. You know, you're wrestling with all this stuff that you need to get out of your life, all these sins, all these failures, all these faults. The love of God will burn up the chaff from your life. If you could ever get a revelation of his love to you and embrace his love within you, it would begin to burn up everything in your life that is not of love's kind. Everything that's not of him gets burned up and everything that is gets purified. It's the love of God. It's the goodness of God. Pastor Trevor talked about this Sunday. It's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. What's repentance? A changing of your mind. It's the love of God. The love of God. See, we think of the Holy Ghost and fire. We, We think of charismatic stuff, you know, and acting out. And listen, it'll cause you to do that. But the true fire of God is that which burns up everything in you that is not of God. Hmm. I'm telling you, man, once I got saved, I was so on fire for God. Uh, I was so consumed by his love for me that laying stuff down was not. It was what I wanted to do. He was burning up everything in me that is not of love's kind. Think about that. Everything in you that's not of love's kind. And on the day of Pentecost after that, they went out into the streets. They took that encounter that they had with God in the upper room in private, and they took it out to the public. It was a compelling fire. And I'm telling you, when you're on fire with the love of God, it'll compel you to go out. (laughs) No one will have to tell you, you need to go out and and evangelize. It'll compel you from within to go out and tell somebody about this love that you have encountered. Think about the woman at the well. No one had to tell her, hey, go and tell people about Jesus. She ran back to her community and told everybody, come meet a man who told me everything that I ever did. He showed her an unconditional love. She was there trying to hide from other people. And the very God of the universe stepped right into her her life and showed her. An unconditional love that caused her to burn in her heart and to go forth and to tell other people about this great love that she had encountered. Mm. It's this love. You know, um, in uh, Revelation chapter 2, let's look at these verses. This is how important the love of God is. In Revelation chapter 2, These are the writings of the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. And he wrote to the church of Ephesus. So there were seven churches in Asia Minor that um, Jesus sent messages to through John. And um, it says this, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands? I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You know, the church at Ephesus. Was really the model church It was the greatest church of Asia Minor It was if, if you were looking at it Its analytics would be the best Of all the churches around the, the church at Ephesus Was established by the Apostle Paul In the book of Acts in chapter 19 And there was such a Revival That happened there People turned from their idolatry And they were so caught on fire by the gospel that they brought all their occultic books and things and they brought them there and they burned them and the Bible says it was worth 50,000 pieces of silver they just volunteered nobody had to tell them Listen, nobody had to say, hey, this devil worship stuff y'all are doing, this occultic practices, all these books and things you got, those are bad. You ought to do some spiritual house cleaning. No, the love of God burned in their hearts so much they ran with their stuff and they threw it in the fire and they burnt it. Listen, they didn't sell it so they could get some of their money back on the stuff they'd spent money on. They brought it and they burned the stuff. They were so in love with God, they were so caught up in the love of God that they brought the stuff and they burned it. They wouldn't want to pass it on to somebody else. So this church was established by Paul. He turns it over to Timothy. The apostle John was one of the members at the church of Ephesus and he brought Mary, the mother of Jesus there. You talk about a church that was filled with movers and shakers in the body of Christ. It was a great church and here Jesus commends them about their work. Look at this He commends them about their works Their labor Their patience They didn't bear with evil If there were people in their congregation Who were uh, unrepentantly committing evil actions They didn't bear with that They dealt with it (laughs) They were uh, of highest excellence and integrity In regard to their spiritual lives Um. And they tested those who said they were apostles and were not. They were strong doctrinally. They endured persecution and suffering. There was great persecution and suffering at that time. And they stood against it. They were in an area where there was great persecution and suffering. And they didn't back down a bit. You know, I'm sure if Rome would have said, hey, you got to close your church down. We got a virus going through here. They would have said, I'm sorry about that. We're still meeting <laughs> but they endured these things. They were a hard-working church. You know, I was reading some stuff by Rick Renner. It said they established churches all over the place. They were hard-working. They were um, patient and enduring persecution. They didn't stand for uh, lifestyles that were not uh, in harmony with the life of a kingdom citizen. Uh, they tested uh, false apostles and exposed them. They, it says they had persevered and had patience and labored for my name's sake and had not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. Did you know that you can forsake your ministry to God Exchange it for ministry for God. This is what happened at the church of Ephesus. They were doing all this stuff. But they had left their first love. And it means the love you had at first. Think back. The love that you had at first. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You left your first love. And notice that they didn't lose it. They left it. What does Jesus say? He says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works. Do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you Repent. Now, listen, I'm not saying that we as a church have done that. I am sharing this really as far as our individual lives that we assess. I remember when I first started studying this, man, and even today as I was restudying it, I found myself repenting. Like, Lord, don't let me do the work for you without being intimately involved in my relationship with you. He says, repent, remember, first of all, from where you've fallen. So what I did, I went and I remembered back to when I first got saved and what my life was like. And man, i tell you what, um, there was nothing I wanted to do, do more than just sit and spend time in his presence and an intimacy with him. I remember I used to just sit in my bedroom with my guitar and just sing for hours, come home, listen to messages, read the Bible. There was no work. It, I was caught up in the love of God. You know? And I don't, believe, uh, I don't believe there's a honeymoon period where you, you are in love with God at first and then it goes away so that you can have to walk on your... You know I, What I think is we leave our first love. Listen, Jesus served the best, the best wine last. <laughs> it's not supposed to be great love at the first and then it ebbs away and then you walk in drudgery through the rest of your, your time as a believer. Your love affair with the Lord should get better and better and better over time unless you leave it behind for other things. You know, so he says to remember. So I remembered those. I remember where I was at. You might think about that. Was there a time in your life years ago where your your love with Jesus was greater than maybe what it is now? If it isn't, if it wasn't, then great. But maybe maybe there's somebody who identifies with that. We have to change our mind. Listen, we have to say, I'm not gonna live that way anymore. I'm not going to work for God without having a love affair with God. You know, I think about Mary and Martha. Martha was serving, said, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. Jesus said, she's picked the best part, and it's not going to be taken away from her. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And there's a lot of stuff in life that will try and buy for your time. to get you away from just sitting at the feet of Jesus yes, amen. and just enjoying his presence and allowing his love to be, um, become more of a force and more um, of the motivation of your life for everything that you do. So then repent and do the first works over again. And so I want to go to... Uh, First John chapter 4 again cuz I want to look at this what John has to say about becoming perfect in his love Man, I just I just remember when I first got saved I got radically saved. I got saved in jail. That's a good place to get saved. And I'm telling you that that's a good place to get saved because you know you don't have anything to offer in the deal. <laughs> when you're when you are in that pit um you are totally crying out for Jesus to, to take you out, to save you. I remember my prayer was, Lord, if you can do anything with this mess, here I am. <laughs> I remember I just, I said, I put my trust in you. I don't know if you can do anything with me, but I, from this day forward, I am going to trust you and I'm going to allow you to work in my life. And I'm believing that you can do something to turn my life around. And I'm telling you, things that I fought against for years fell off my life. Suddenly, I found something that I loved so much more. Nothing else compares. I was caught up in the goodness of God and his love for me. And uh, it wasn't, it, I mean, I had been raised up around religion. I, I knew what it meant to, you know, you better get things right so God will love you. <laughs> you know, I know you've heard stuff like that before. But finally, I heard the truth. That God loved me in spite of myself, not because of myself. And so in 1 John chapter 4, he begins to talk about the love of God to you. He says in 1 John 4, in verse 9, I always forget that I've got this here. <laughs> not used to doing it. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Here's the first love. Here's your first love. This is what first love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. In this is love. Man, I quote these verses to myself all the time. In this is love. Not that I love God, but that He first loved me and sent His Son to be the propitiation for my sin. And you know what propitiation means? The satisfaction. That He sent His Son to be the satisfaction for my sin so that the one thing that separated me from God could be moved out of the way so I could be brought back into perfect love. Perfect righteousness, perfect relationship, perfect redemption where there was no separation between me and God any longer so I could fully open my heart to him, so I could fully embrace him, so that I could fully enter into his presence, fully experience him, fully encounter him so that he could do a work in my life. See, most people don't know God. They don't know that God is love, and so they stand back away from God because they're unsure about his disposition toward them. The first step is is that you have to know that love is not that you loved him, but that he first loved you. At my worst, God loved me the best. Man, sometimes we forget that. you got to go back and renew yourself to the fact that, listen, God loved you at your worst. God loved you when there was nothing to love. You know, in Romans chapter 5, it says in verse 8, But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, it's amazing to me that uh, whenever I got saved, listen, I hadn't been going to church. I hadn't been reading the Bible. I hadn't been paying any tithes. I hadn't been doing any witnessing. No, I had been, you know, doing illegal stuff. I'd been doing drugs. I'd been dealing drugs. I'd been doing all these destructive things. And God loved me in that condition. See, we forget that. And then we get into this, because we forget about that, we get into this situation where we're trying to do stuff to get God to love us. And the reason why is we forgot. We forgot about the love of God to us. You know, in Ephesians 2, it says, because of his great love with which he loved us, that even when we were dead in our sins... He made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up together with him, and he made us to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, all your sin, all your depravity, all your destruction, all your drug doing, all your disorders and everything, none of that stopped the love of God from invading your life. None of that stopped the love of God. If you properly hear the gospel, it don't matter what's going on in your life. It won't stop you from coming up and receiving from God. <laughs> we forget, though. We forget. We, we get into this thing where we think God's responding to us. And it's not. Faith is us responding to the grace of God that he showed to us through Jesus And so um, the love of God to you is the captivating fire that should have have your attention. It's what gets your attention at the first. You're like Moses. You hear the gospel and you go, man, I got to turn aside and see this great sight. (laughs) What is this? I mean, I don't know, maybe not you. Maybe you felt like you were lovable. But for me, man, I didn't even like myself, much less love myself. I sure didn't know how God could love me. I mean, I didn't even like me. So it's a captivating fire. One of the problems is we quit being captivated by it. You know, in the book of Galatians, when they quit just... uh, um, relating to God by faith, and they got into the legalism. You know what he tells them? He said that, that Jesus Christ was crucified. Was portrayed to you as crucified, clearly. Basically, what he was saying is you've lost sight of the cross. He said, "Who bewitched you? Wasn't Jesus Christ portrayed before you as crucified?" What's gotten your eyes off of that and got you thinking differently? They've quit being captivated by the love of God that was demonstrated by the cross of Jesus and the fact that when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Man, Romans 5, that's one of my favorite passages there because it says that we were helpless. It means there was nothing we could do about it. We were sinners, we were ungodly, and we were enemies of God and it was in that condition that God sent Jesus to die for us. Man, think about it. Enemies of God. See, that's the that's the revelation of the love of God to us. Is it says that someone might actually die for somebody that they care about, you know. You could conceive someone dying for somebody else, but no one would die for their enemy. But what God did was he sent Jesus to die for those who were enemies of God. God hadn't made himself an enemy to us. We had made ourselves enemies to him. Mm. And so the love of God to you. In verse 10, he said, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So let's look at uh, verse 16, 1 John 4 and 16. <clears throat> and this is talking about the love of God in you. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. You know, the word abide. Another word for the word abide is to dwell. Did you know that if you would dwell on the love of God, that you would be filled? I mean, you have the nature of God, you have the love of God in your spirit, but did you know it would begin to fill your mind? It would begin to fill your soul if you dwelled on the love of God? If you had a revelation that the very Love and nature of God is on the inside of you that it would begin to permeate the way that you think and fill your soul to the place where you would begin to see yourself as a person who had, who was a love, who, was a, who had the capacity of God's love on the inside of you. I don't know if, I, if I'm getting that across clear, but when you dwell on the love of God to you, you begin to be filled with the love of God on the inside of you. Let's look at Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three. This is a prayer of Paul. And he says, um, let me find it here. Let me just start reading in verse 13. He says, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's talking about in your soul, that through faith he would begin to dwell in that other part of your being. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, what is the width, and the length, and the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about that. That says when you begin to get a revelation of the width, the depth, the length, and the height of the love of God. And you begin to dwell on it. You begin to be filled with the fullness of God. You get filled up with God. Not just in your spirit, but it begins to to affect your soul. And you begin to identify yourself with God's nature and God's character. Now, when I read about the fruit of the Spirit, when I read about love, I say, That's me. Amen. Why? Because what's true of Him is true of me. Amen. What belongs to Him belongs to me. Amen. You know why I say it? Because I'm convincing myself. <laughs> because what you believe about yourself is what you express, it's the way that you live your life. I say, that's me. Why? Because I'm in union with Jesus. We're one. What's true of him is true of me. What belongs to him belongs to me. I, and he, is, he is my reality. And the more we get a revelation of, the, of his great love, we begin to get filled up with the fullness of God. And you know what happens when something gets full? It begins to spill out. It begins to overflow. problem is we haven't been full. We've been full of some stuff just, (laughs) we've been full of some stuff. It just hadn't necessarily been the love of God. So he says that, you know, how do we get full of the love of God? We begin to dwell on it. We begin to get a revelation of it. We begin to experience it. That's what it says when it says um, to know the love of Christ. The word know is not intellectual. It's experiential. When you begin to dwell on the love of God, you'll begin to experience the love of God in your life. It starts to become real. As you meditate on it, as you dwell on it, the Holy Spirit begins to make that real in your experience. The problem is, is we've thought knowledge, biblical knowledge is just intellectual. So we say, I know that verse so I know it. And that's not true. You don't know it. Just because you know the verse, doesn't, it doesn't mean you know it. Anything we're not doing or experiencing, we don't know. And the problem is, is that we don't take the time. We don't take the time to meditate and dwell on the realities of Christ that are revealed to us in the Scripture long enough that the Holy Spirit can begin to make it real in our heart so that we begin to experience it in our life. One of the reasons people can't express love is because they haven't felt loved. We feel fear. See, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. See, love is on the, power is on the side of love. We want to experience the power of God. We got to have the love of God. They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. And so we have to get a revelation of the width and the length and the depth and the height of the love of Christ to us. And then it begins to fill us and we get filled with the fullness of God. And if I had, this, had a water bottle and began to fill this cup as it got full, it would just start to run over. See, the natural result of being filled with the love of God is that you'll have the love of God begin to be manifested through you. And we're trying to do all this stuff, oh man, we're trying to do all of the right things, but we're doing it in the strength of our own flesh and we don't have the love of God filling our heart to where it's overflowing and he's able to express himself through our life accurately to other people. We're fearful, so we're guarding ourselves. We're not opening our hearts. We're not allowing ourselves to take the risk of putting ourselves out there because we're fearful. Listen, when you realize the love of God to you, you're not gonna worry about the opinions of men. The problem is most people aren't aren't convinced about God's disposition toward them, so they're not confident, they're not bold, and they're guarding themselves against the opinions of man and being manipulated by the opinions of man. Listen, if you understood how God feels about you, you wouldn't give a rip what anybody else thinks. The love of God through you. Look at verse 19 in First John. We're going to go back there to First John chapter 4. And this is a very short and very simple verse. We love him because he first loved us. Now listen, let me say this. If you look at this in the original, it doesn't say him. This is New King James Version. And so they added him to make it more readable. But it actually says we love because he first loved us. Our response to his love for us is is love not only to him but to other people. If we're not able to love other people right it's because we haven't we haven't understood love. How loved we are. We haven't allowed ourselves to become filled with the love of God and we're not able to take we're not able to put ourselves out there because we're fearful. Let me see here. There's another verse. Back up to um, verse 17. This is in regards to our love for God. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Think about that. The love of God, when understood properly, the perfect love of God, when you come to a mature understanding of the love of God to you, then all fear of judgment is cast out of your life. You know, religious religious people get nervous when you go to talking about things. How are we going to keep people in line? (laughs) Listen, fear is not the motivator for living for God. God doesn't use shame. God doesn't use fear. Fear is a spirit. It's not a spirit of God. So how are we motivated to live for God and do what's right? Love. <laughs> oh, man. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. None. If you're fearful, then you don't understand the love of God. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That just means you've not come to a mature understanding of the love of God. And so fear still has its grip on your heart. Because you're not able to trust In the perfect Love Of God And then the result is we love Because he first Loved us Man You know Paul went on to say In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 The love of Christ Compels me He was talking about all of the suffering and the persecution and the trials that he went through in ministry and listen he went through a lot and he called them light afflictions (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about falling among thieves, shipwrecked, beaten with rods Uh, I'm talking about severe persecution and he called them light afflictions where was the inner fortitude Coming from to keep going and to endure all of the stuff that he was going through. Well, he said, The love of Christ compels me. Not his love for Christ, Christ's love for him. Christ's love for him caused him to love Christ, it caused him to respond in kind. The love of God was so big in his heart that it burned everything up that wasn't of love's kind. Mm. Man, I feel like this has been—I feel like this has been hard plowing. But I feel like there's people here tonight that either have left their first love, or maybe have never even known the presence of perfect love in their life before. And I want to just give you an opportunity. I want everybody to stand, but I just want to give you an opportunity to just embrace the reality of the perfect love of God in your life. I just want you to think about it. I feel like I've been saying this stuff as a way of creating an atmosphere in your mind and in your heart. Because listen, here's the thing, we're guarded. We've got to open up our heart. If we would open up our heart, we would, God would fill it. We've got to allow His perfect love. It's, it's not understanding His love for you that's causing you to continue in the way things are going. Hey, Mark, if you want to turn that pad on, you can. Let's just uh, raise our hands to the Lord. Lord, we just thank you tonight for your goodness. We just thank you for your perfect love, Father God. We thank you for the revelation. Already did that when you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us and I just want to see people this is my heart tonight father I want people to experience your love in a way that they never have before I, I just pray right now that people are reaching out by faith opening their hearts ask God say I want to encounter and experience your love tonight. I open my heart to you, Father. I thank you, Father God, that you're not withholding from me, that you're not basing the inadequacies and the failings of my life as a way to hold back your love for me, but that your love is is unrelenting, that you're chasing me down with your love, that your love is furious toward me, that your love is is fierce toward me, that you want to, to, you want to cause my heart to just be arrested by your love, that you wanna overwhelm me, that you wanna consume me with your love tonight. Father God, I just open my heart to you and I just say, here I am. Holy Spirit, make it real tonight in people's hearts. People that are wavering between two opinions, about God's disposition toward them. I pray tonight that that be settled in their hearts, that they don't question it anymore. I feel like there are people that have been questioning God's disposition toward them because they're looking at their self and they're saying, I don't measure up. I don't measure up. I don't deserve the love of God. I don't deserve the goodness of God in my life. I don't deserve this thing that I've been believing for. I'm here to tell you tonight that God's love, his perfect love is towards you. God's not saying no, God's saying yes tonight. And he sent Jesus to suffer, to to shed his blood, to pour out his light so that he could sanctify you so that he could dwell within you by his spirit and so that he could begin to manifest his love through you to other people oh that you could be a conduit for his love in this world that we would lay down all of our religion and all of our traditions and that we would return simply to relationship with you father God hallelujah we thank you father We just give you praise. Oh, we thank you. Show us, Holy Spirit, the width, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ. Let it fill us till we overflow. Hallelujah. Let it spill over in our life onto everybody that we come into contact with. Thank you, Father. We allow your perfect love to cast fear out of our life. We know if you're for us, What can man do to us? whom he is well pleased hallelujah the devil is a liar the devil is a liar he is a liar oh man hallelujah we thank you father we just give you praise I tell you what the love of God is ferocious against what's keeping you from him there's anything in your life tonight we're going to have ministers up here I I encourage you if there's anything in your life tonight that you are struggling with come up here and get an agreement with somebody and let them release the love of God into your life and and watch your enemies be scattered (laughs) watch your enemies be scattered his love will burn up everything in your life that is not of his kind oh hallelujah thank you father God ministers will be up here as we dismiss I just want to encourage you be sure uh, don't leave without coming up and getting some kind of agreement or prayer in your life Uh, if you've got something you're dealing with don't leave without coming up here amen